Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. And thanks to the show's sponsor today, Technape FMC. Technape FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energy industries, delivering fully integrated projects, products, and services with their proprietary technologies and comprehensive solutions. Technique FMC is helping their clients to support their energy transition ambitions by developing new energy resources and reducing carbon intensity. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at technapefmc.com. Check out their iComplete system that optimizes fracking operations with 30% lower costs and also see how their trademarked emission can give operators and producers real-time monitoring and control to reduce flaring while increasing production. Technape FMC, the future of the energy industry. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries. If you appreciate this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you're listening from. Today we have on the show Brett Davis with R360 Environmental Solutions. Brett, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it, Russell. I'm happy to be here and glad you invited me on. Brett, let's see. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Right now you head up the Permian Division sales for R360. How'd you get to that point? Yes, sir. Well, I mean, I guess I'd have to go back my entire oil field career starting back in 08, you know, as a solids control hand, it's it's always kind of revolved around, I guess, the oil and gas waste side of the business. And from going, you know, on-site equipment as far as solids control and then into drilling fluids and then on to the disposal side of how we handle the waste, that was kind of the way I fell into this. And I had a prior position with Republic Services, which was very much the same nature job. And it was pushing new business sales for their oil and gas side disposal. So are you a Texas boy? I am originally from El Paso, Texas. Grew up there. Once I got out of high school, kind of one of those kids that didn't really know what they wanted to do. Went to community college for a little bit. That didn't work out with my maturity level at the time. And Got offered a job out in the oil field, and at that time, there's a lot of people from El Paso out here now, especially in the Delaware Basin, but at that time, there was almost nobody from El Paso working in the oil and gas side of things, only being, you know, within three hours of the closest action. It's very strange to think back about it now, but so when I got offered from a buddy of mine's brother to come out here and work, I turned it down the first time. I was like, heck no, that's not what I want to do at all. That seems a million miles away. Finally convinced me to come out and check it out. And I had nothing else going on. So I came out and started as a solids control hand. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of stories like that in the oil field. So I guess I'm talking to you, you're in Midland right now? Yes, sir. Yes. I've lived out here in Midland since 2014. 
prior to that, I was just doing, you know, a hitch rotation or when I first started casing brake rotation, those were my days off. Okay. So R360 environmental solutions, what do you guys do, Brett? Our primary focus is the handling of oil and gas waste, anything coming from drilling, completions, production, drill cuttings, any kind of drilling muds. Let's see, we do contaminated soils. So any kind of solids, any kind of fluids that are produced as waste out here in the oil and gas industry, we go ahead and we take those and we dispose of them. We do have specialty sides to where we recycle oil-based cuttings and give back like a recovered base oil. But other than that, our main is the disposal side of it. Okay. So that's very interesting. I want to delve into that a little bit because now are you guys just in Texas or are you all over the place? No, sir. We are pretty much, we go straight North. We go well and Louisiana, but we are across Texas. So we're out here in the Permian. We have multiple sites down in South Texas, East Texas, and then Oklahoma, Wyoming. And up until last week, we had two sites in North Dakota. Okay, so let's talk about drilling muds. For those who don't know, in South Texas and in the Permian, the drilling mud of choice is what we call diesel-based, oil-based mud, right? Yes, sir. That would be the most efficient that I see everywhere out here. So, Okay, so of course, the argument from some people is it's the most efficient, but it may not be the most environmentally friendly. I would say, yeah, that's Definitely more of a topic now than it had been before. It's, you know, for cost effectiveness, it's the best way. But yes, you know, using diesel and other chemicals, it doesn't always lean towards the best environmental product. However, it can be responsibly managed, correct? Yeah, as long as everybody's taking care of what they're supposed to do, and that's from transportation and storage tanks and containment all the way back to our facility and the way that we handle it. Yes, it can definitely be handled safely and environmentally responsible. Okay. So for the most part, especially in the Permian, we're not dealing with closed loop systems. We're dealing with open reserve pits, right? On the Texas side of things, yes. Of course, you know, New Mexico, which we have a facility north on 285, north of Orla that receives a lot of waste from the New Mexico drilling. And then we also have a site between Hobbs and Carlsbad that they're full closed loop, obviously, over there. But over here in Texas, yes, most operators choose to use the reserve pits. Okay, so if you have what's called a closed loop system for maybe those who aren't exactly familiar with the drilling side, all of your cuttings and everything is contained. And basically, when you get through with the well, you just haul that off in the containers, correct? Yes, you haul it off, you know, during the drilling, they'll load trucks and they'll be hauling off the drill cuttings as the process is going. It tends to give a little bit of restriction when you're under a closed loop system, just because all your room is frack tanks and you don't have a huge reserve pit in case you catch a flow or need extra fluid out of there. So there are a few restrictions with it, but Enough companies have done it and enough companies have experience in New Mexico and doing it that it's a pretty smooth process nowadays. So when you say you haul it off to your facility, what kind of facility is this? 
If I had to, I guess, compare it to anything, it's a landfill. It's a landfill just like you would see for trash. The difference is, is everything that we're processing and putting into the landfill needs to be dry. So we operate on a much, I guess, slower pace than a landfill would. And we don't have to worry about trash flying away and getting it buried as fast as we can. So we're able to either, if it's an oil-based mud, we can run it through processes to dry it out and get the oil out of it. If it's a water-based mud, either we'll use another dry material and mix it up with that until it's to a certain limit and we can go ahead and put it in the landfill. Okay. So now when you use the term landfill, that probably has negative connotations for a lot of people. I've always said, you know, people want their garbage hauled off, but they don't want it hauled off in their backyard. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. How large are these facilities? I mean, you're looking at multiple, multiple acres. I mean, we're operating off anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30 acres. That's actual operational. We usually have more property than that so we can expand. And if I know that does kind of, you know, landfill maybe doesn't have the best ring to it. But if you look at the processes, the plastic liners, numerous ones and levels that need to go into one of these as compared to the reserve pits that are used for disposal, it's a huge difference. It is a lot more rigorous and a lot more strict on the disposal side than it is if they throw it in a reserve pit and keep it on site. So we're not contaminating the water tables and this isn't just 20 or 30 acres of a huge environmental mess, correct? Absolutely not. No. And that's why there are limitations on what we can throw into the landfill and when we can throw it into the landfill. So there's multiple stages for this waste to go through that needs to dry it up and get any excess liquids off of the solids before it goes into the landfill so that there is no leakage. And then of course, there's a backup on top of that. You have the three layers of plastic with the cushions in between. So there's many of stages there to protect anything going into the ground. Okay, so let's talk about some of these stages. So you're going to remove the excess oil from the cuttings. You do this with chemical amendments? You do it with centrifuges? How do you do it? We have... Not at all of the sites, but over here in the Permian and down in South Texas, we have the ability to run it through a thermal desorption unit. And that is basically just kind of running it through a big dryer, I guess is what you would say. And it runs through a spinning cylinder while heating, and it separates the oil off of the cuttings almost to 100%. There's almost zero residual carbons on the cuttings when they come out. And the process of the thermal desorption unit also produces a diesel quality recovered base oil. Like it's not just some nasty sludge or anything that comes out. It is a clear fluid and it's got almost identical qualities as a rack diesel. So do you recycle that? You sell it? What do you do? Yes, we sell that mostly back to the operators that send us the drill cuttings, the oil-based drill cuttings. So that helps out with their economics tremendously then, huh? Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, especially nowadays with the price of diesel 
and this is not recommended for them to run any kind of motors off. You know, we don't want to go down that road, but this is reused in their oil-based mud. And, you know, the discounted rate that they get this mud back at could save them thousands and thousands at the end of the well instead of purchasing brand new diesel to put out there and put in their mud. So then when you have these dried cuttings, is there any way to recycle that? There is. There is a process of making it into a road-based material, which we also can do that. You can use it for lease roads, pads, anything of that nature, because once it comes out, the you know remaining carbons in there is just that of pretty much what you would get off a normal lease road out here. It's pretty amazing what comes out. And so is there a lot of that going on? Coming back from 2020, everybody's kind of trying to get back to, you know, looking for new improved ways of being environmental and being, you know, cost efficient. Everybody kind of went back in their little money saving caves and they're kind of barely tracking back into it. So the road-based material is not fully back up and running just because We don't have anybody that's currently able to take it or wanting to take it. The recovered base oil is very popular, but once again, you need the oil-based cuttings to create that. So, you know, trying to get some of these operators to switch from putting everything into a reserve pit to hauling it to the disposal is part of the struggle we deal with trying to push this unit. That's interesting because... I would think if you could use the cuttings for road materials, I would think that would, since it's already just a waste anyway, I would think that would be cheaper than trying to build caliche lease roads or something like that. Yes, you know, and also too, once you pull out the excess fluid that's on these drill cuttings, you reduce the amount that's actually disposed you know, somewhere by 30%. There's so much fluid and oil base that's retained in the drill cuttings when they come off of the rig. It's amazing which how much extra there is that's just fluid and not actually solids. Well, that's great to know that you're able to recover that and recycle it. That definitely is a lot of progress over just burying it like they used to do, huh? Yes. I mean, any kind of plan we can do to use as much of the waste instead of disposing it. That's what we're trying to do. And I think a lot of the roadblocks we run into trying to get people on board is there's just, as you know, there's so many levels of decision-making from operators. You have the people who handle construction of new roads and location pads, and then you have people on drilling, and they all would have to decide together pretty much to make the project work. Drilling would have to decide to haul off. Usually they don't want to incur that cost. It's really, if you put the pencil to the paper, it's not that big of a difference. And in most cases, it can actually save them money. And then you would have to have, you know, procurement sign off and things of that nature. So it's just trying to get through the stair steps and change the ways that some of these operators think about their disposal and understanding that I'm not saying that anybody doesn't take care of their reserve pits out here, doesn't responsibly handle them, but it would be a lot easier 
to get this process up and running fully for everybody if they could kind of come together on their side, if they can make decisions together on their side. Okay, so you're saying there's maybe some reticence to hauling it off, and I think that's not uh, as economical. If you don't haul it off, what do you do? If an operator doesn't haul it off, there's a couple different measures that they use out here. And I have to, you know, I'm fully appreciative that the state of Texas allows landowners to kind of do what they will with their land and they don't try and intervene there. But on the other side, you have thousands of these reserve pits out here that are left after the drilling crew leaves and then completion comes in and they will go ahead and dump their waste in there. And usually they'll sit around for about a year. And at that point, then they'll go ahead and have trucks come in and pull the fluid off of the top, which will go to disposal. And then they will go ahead and deep bury the remaining waste that's in the pit. Now, why do they wait a year? Usually for evaporation and separation, just let all the solids fall as they may. And then evaporate, I guess, as much fluid as they can possibly do so they don't have to haul much off to the disposal. And then there are also other operators that do, and it's still a little bewildering to me, but they'll go ahead and do the same thing. They'll go ahead and put all their waste into the reserve pit. They'll use that reserve pit as they may and then leave the rig, leave the completions, and then they'll dig it all up and haul it off to a disposal to us. And that typically is another 15, 20% in overall waste because you can't just dig just as deep as the reserve pit is. You have to dig past it and send off some just pure dirt. You know, it's kind of wild the way that they look at it. And it doesn't really seem like anybody does many cost comparisons, which I'm not sure a hundred percent one way or the other, but with how large AFEs are, disposal to a reserve pit is a drop in the bucket and it gets the operator if they were to choose a third-party disposal it gets them from scope one to scope three on an environmental scale so it really seems like it would be the smarter choice just to take it to the disposal and let the companies that are in business to handle it and handle it properly take care of it instead of having it on site and just letting any construction company or whoever they have out there kind of look after it. That's interesting. Okay. So you mentioned completion. So we were were talking about drilling the well. And so we've got the oil-based mud and that's something you have to deal with. What kind of environmental problems or impacts are we having with uh, completion fluids and that sort of thing? Well, as far as, and I honestly, I think this is where maybe the biggest advantage for having the reserve pit comes in. As you know, after they frack the well, there is a ton of flowback and it's nice to just have the room for the excess volume just to put into a reserve pit and not have to worry about tanks filling up and trucks being on time and things of that nature. When that slick water comes back and it comes back with all the chemicals they use during the frack process. It can be an environmental hazard if it is getting onto land that's not covered with plastic. If it's not picked up right away, it can be a problem, especially with how much fracking we do do here in the Permian Basin. It's definitely something they need to stay on top of. 
And most all the fracking companies are really, really responsible when doing what they do. It's just, you know, everybody's got to stay on top of it because there is risks involved. Now, is R360 involved in any kind of recycling of frack water and those sort of things? I mean, we have pits when they come out, we put them all in the pits. And these are very, very large pits that are once again, triple the protection lined as to what a reserve pit would be. And we have the time to let all the chemicals kind of settle out and everything like that. Most of the excess water we do end up sending over to an SWD because the chloride level is high and there is still the frac chemicals in it that doesn't separate out. We don't add, I guess, the time we let it sit in the pits doesn't add to the viscosity and the pressure that that fluid would do normally if you just took it straight to an SWD and pumped it down hole. You give them back a pretty clear, thin fluid. And for those who don't know, SWD is saltwater disposal well, so we're just talking about sending it down into a very well protected and no way to get into the, as is often falsely said, these chemicals don't get into the water table. Yeah, these don't get into the water table. As you know, recently there's been a lot of heat on the SWD companies for the recent earthquakes out here. And I, you know, I think everybody does need to pay attention to that and look into that. I think there's enough water treatment technologies that we can reuse as much as we can. It's going to take more like water midstream solutions to do that because being still where we are, we can only give back fluid to frat companies if they're in our area. Other than that, it's not economically valuable to the operator. I interviewed here probably a few weeks ago, a SPE distinguished lecturer whose degree is actually in seismology and all that sort of thing. And I asked him about that and he said just exactly what you said. The problem is, is especially some of these mom and pop facilities and whatnot, they're putting too much down in there and it needs to be reduced. And that's certainly what the companies are working on. There's been a lot of progress on that. Yeah. And you know, these facilities, they're movable. They can break down and they can move, but it would be a lot, a lot more effective and a lot more efficient if the water treatment companies that know what they're doing and have the technology down to an art could just remain in a few set locations and have some sort of a midstream plan to have, you know, it all pumped to them. And that way they don't have to worry about rigging down and rigging back up. And where's the action going to be? And these frack spreads are done over here. Now we need to move a hundred miles over this way. It would have to be a huge collaboration, but you know, I mean, there's midstreams for oil and gas. So I think absolutely for water could be done. Right. Oh, I think that's probably definitely on the horizon. So Brett, this has been very interesting, insightful, informative. Sounds like you got your sales job cut out for you. So we wish you all the luck in the world. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll be sure to include your LinkedIn contact information and R360's website in the show notes. So anyone listening can contact you directly if they want to. I want to thank everyone for listening. And again, remind you this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. 
Please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Register for our monthly giveaway there as well. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and that contact info you can find in the show notes. Finally, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the show, suggestions for content you might like to hear. Also, if you're looking for a speaker for a conference or meeting, you can contact me about having one from our OGGN Speakers Bureau, including Mark LaCour and yours truly as well. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Remember, Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. and international-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Again, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. Like us on LinkedIn. Use all your social networking to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.